Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. We've got eight incredible first-round matchups in the basketball playoffs this week. Kevin Durant versus Kawhi, Lakers versus Grizzlies, James Harden versus his former team, and of course, the Battle of the Bay Area between the Golden State Warriors and Sacramento Kings. You can head over to BetOnline Sportsbook, use our promo code BLEAV50, that's bleav five zero, and get a 50% welcome bonus on your first First deposit using the link in the description to this episode. Bet online where the game starts. Morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping in to another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. And podcasts aren't live. It's the whole point of podcasts. You can listen however and whenever it is that you may be stopping in. Welcome, 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 everybody. It's a fantabulous Monday, April 24th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, and we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is that you may be listening. It could be a Monday, a Tuesday, a Wednesday, a Thursday, or maybe even a Saturday, depending on however and whenever you're stopping in. We still love you and still appreciate you for supporting our dreams. The last time we were here on the show was Thursday last week. You heard Morgan from Australia and I talk about lighting the beam and the Boston Celtics and NBA playoff stuff. We made a bunch of Chicago Cubs puns and then Drew Smiley of the Chicago Cubs almost threw a perfect game until a catcher for the Cubs, who I'm sure we made jokes about with Jan Gomes, gave him a piggyback ride. All of it was wild and wacky. And since then, there's been a lot of happenings in the NBA. So let's talk about basketball. There were eight first-round series All of them played at least one game. A lot of them played two games in the time since we've been on the air. When we last spoke to you, we made the joke about, hey, it's kind of crazy that Joel Embiid did that thing, huh? And we were kind of right because as soon as we released that podcast, Joel Embiid did try to kick Nick Claxton in the junk. And because he landed on the inner thigh instead of the nether region, the ball rack, the penis and testicles of Nick Claxton, because this is a podcast, I can say penis and testicles, because Nick Claxton, because Joel Embiid tried to take out Nick Claxton's balls, we got a flagrant one, not an ejection, not a suspension, 
nothing like that. Joel Embiid ended up staying in the game. Nick Claxton later got ejected from the game because he got a technical foul and then a second technical dunking and flexing and two technicals is an ejection in the NBA. So Claxton ended up getting ejected later in the game. James Harden got ejected because of a wild and wacky play where he swatted. He 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 did the chicken wing swat to Royce O'Neal's penis and testicles, and that got him ejected. A lot of penis and testicles in the 76ers-Nets series, but jo- uh, James Harden got ejected, nothing came of that, and then uh, Joel Embiid got hurt in Game 3 against the Brooklyn Nets in Round 1. Just like last year when Joel Embiid got hurt in Game 3 of Round 1. And going into the second round, it was a question game to game as to whether or not Joel Embiid would play. And now going into the second round again, it's a question of whether Joel Embiid will play game to game. And it feels like deja vu all over again for this, I guess we could call it third iteration of the 76ers. Because the first iteration of the Sixers was... Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid, and Ben Simmons, that 2019 team they had. The the team that had just gone from uh, tanking to Sam Hinkie getting fired, and they got beat by Kawhi Leonard on the quadruple bounce. The second iteration of the team was post-Brett Brown, but pre-James Harden, which... They were the number one seed that year, and obviously we know what happened with the Philadelphia 76ers versus Atlanta Hawks series. So now this this iteration three of the Sixers is following the exact same path as the first year Sixers, which is going to be underdogs in a second round series. Last year was against Miami, this year it's against Boston, and Joel Embiid is going to have game-to-game injury questions once again. And so after that whole game three ended up happening, they came back, by the way, at the end of game three, Tyrese Maxey ended up cooking for Philadelphia. He had the final eight points of the game before a couple of meaningless free throws for, I want to say it was Shake Milton. But after a couple meaningless free throws, the Sixers won that game because Brooklyn post James Harden had a losing record, but they were still just good enough, or sorry, post Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving were both were a sub-500 team but still good enough to be the sixth seed. I'm going to guess next year. We're going to put this out here now. I'm going to guess Brooklyn ends up as the 10 seed in the Eastern Conference next year. I'm going to put that prediction out here now, and we'll see what ends up happening after the fact. So this game and this series is over. Bye-bye, Brooklyn. Sweet by Philadelphia. They rested Joel Embiid for game four of the series that they ended up winning with basically just Tobias Harris three-pointers. It was just kick to the corner, Tobias three. Kick to the top of the key, Tobias three. By the way, I made this joke on on the internet, and I think it's an interesting one. If Carmelo Anthony had played in today's NBA, he would basically be Tobias Harris, which I think is a funny comparison to think about because... The mid-range game and the three-point shot and how the game has changed like that. I think it's funny to think about Carmelo being Tobias Harris in today's NBA. And Tobias Harris ended up shooting a bunch of three-pointers to help get the 76ers past a not-great Brooklyn Nets team. I thought that the whole series was interesting because now you're in a situation where James Harden is 
playing the best basketball he's had since the pre-pandemic. I think it's safe to say James Harden's... I mean, it's not MVP-level Harden anymore when he finished top two in the MVP four times in five seasons, but it is the all-star caliber basketball we came to expect from James Harden. Terry Maxey won them a game three against Brooklyn. Stranger players have won games in the playoffs, so I don't think it's absurd to think about Terry Maxey being a third option who could potentially go nuclear and give you a 35-point game or just score 12 points in the fourth quarter and win you a game. Uh, D'Anthony Melton had 15 points in the final quarter of the Brooklyn series. I love the, the stat that they threw up that the Nets have now lost 10 consecutive games to the 76ers, including all eight this season. They played four times in the regular season. Sixers won all of them. Four times in the playoffs, Sixers won all of them. Since James Harden got traded to the 70s, since the 76ers and Nets made the James Harden for Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, and two first-round pick trade, the Sixers are 10-0 against the Brooklyn Nets. I feel like that's a pretty solid sign that you lost a trade. Just feel pretty safe saying that's a solid sign that you lost. So congratulations to James Harden and to Daryl Morey and to the Philadelphia 76ers. You are officially the daddies of the Brooklyn Nets. You won that trade. Feel pretty safe saying at the end of the day, you won that trade. Congratulations to you. Congratulations on spinning that disastrous Ben Simmons situation into a victory. And the 76ers are going to head into the second round for the second year in a row with James Harden and with an injured Joel Embiid in a series where they will be underdogs. And at the end of the day, if they don't have a healthy Joel Embiid, we'll lose. Let's talk about the Lakers and the Memphis Grizzlies. That series is now 2-1 Los Angeles. I am clenching my fingers in terms of the analysis that I had of Memphis is a better team than the Lakers. They have always been a better team than the Lakers, and they can win a series against the Lakers even without Ja Morant because not only are the Lakers up two games to one in that series, 
Memphis on Saturday played a game of what we like to call on this show, fuck around and find out. We said last week the Philadelphia Eagles, they did not want to play fuck around and find out with Jalen Hurts. The Baltimore Ravens with Lamar Jackson, they are fucking around and they are finding out. The Memphis Grizzlies fucked around and they found out. Because in the first quarter of Game 3 against the Lakers, after Dylan Brooks taunted LeBron, after the John Morant and his daughter did a post-game interview where he talked about his city was on high, after all of that, the Memphis Grizzlies took 15 open shots in the first quarter against the Lakers and they made one open looks one for 15 as a team with Xavier Tillman in the starting lineup and Jaron Jackson Jr. posting the exact same stat line Anthony Davis posted in game two four for 12 from the field just brutal and Memphis put I I literally looked at the score and couldn't believe it said 38 to 9. I thought it was a typo that the Grizzlies could only score 9 points in a quarter of an NBA basketball game. 1 for 15 on open shots. They did their best to charge back in the game, which is also why I think Memphis is not out of the series yet being down 2-1. I who knows what'll happen in game 4 tonight. But I'm going to anticipate Memphis not out of the series at this stage of the game. And what's super interesting, Memphis at the end of the game had 27 consecutive points by John Morant. I believe that was the correct number. was 27 straight John Morant points. He finished with 45 points, a near triple-double. It was the reason why the game didn't look atrociously bad for Memphis because they started the game with nine points in the first quarter, which still, like, I can't get enough of saying that. They scored nine points in a quarter of an NBA basketball game. And at the end of the game, Memphis still finished with 101. So they scored 92 points in three quarters after the fact. They had 28 in the second, 31 in the third, 33 in the fourth. They outscored the Lakers by 10 in the second quarter, outscored them by 10 in the fourth quarter. So if they only have an awful first quarter instead of maybe the worst first quarter in NBA playoff history, if it's only a bad first quarter, there's a chance Memphis comes back to win that game. And the reason there's a chance Memphis comes back to win that game is not just 27 consecutive points from John Morant. It is... Desmond Bain still put up 18 points in that game. Jaron Jackson's not going to go 4 for 12 every game. Look at Jaron Jackson and Anthony Davis. In the first three games of the series, they've basically Spider-Man memed each other. Like, the first game of the series, Jaron Jackson struggled while Anthony Davis put up 30 points. And the Lakers, or I think Anthony Davis put up 20-something points. He never got to 30, but he got close to 30. And then in game two, Jaron Jackson put up 30 points. Anthony Davis shot 4 of 12 from the field. And then in game 3, Anthony Davis put up 31 points and 17 rebounds while Jaron Jackson shot 4 of 12 from the field. So Anthony Davis and Jaron Jackson keep doing the Spider-Man meme of each other at this stage of the game. And Jaron Jackson Jr. coming back around with his Defensive Player of the Year. I mean, again, he's only played like a defensive player of the year one of the two games, or sorry, one of the three games in this series. So 
granted it's a difficult situation for the Grizzlies at the same time Memphis is a really good team and John Morant with a broken hand can still put up 45 points including the last 27 of the game for a team that really only goes about five deep which is a problem for Memphis in the long run only having five deep of a rotation because you don't have Steven Adams you don't have Brandon Clark and the alternative options like Tyus Jones and Luke Kennard just have not showed up in this series like the good news for them is that they have Xavier Tillman because Xavier Tillman is big strong dude who can who can ball down low on not big and well big but not strong Lakers players like Vanderbilt, Anthony Davis, not really the strongest dudes in the world, so Tillman can go to work. You saw that in Game 2. Tillman worked the Lakers down low. And in this game, Anthony Davis played great defensively on both Jaron Jackson and Xavier Tillman, and that was kind of the reason why the Lakers coasted as much as they did is because they got great defense from Anthony Davis, which at this stage of the game, you've gotten one great Jaron Jackson game. You've gotten one great Anthony Davis game. The first game of the series was Austin Reeves carrying for the Lakers, which I still can't believe we live in a world where Austin Reeves called for his own number with LeBron James standing on the wing with two minutes to go in a playoff game on the road in Memphis. So, yeah, that still happened, and I still can't believe that that might be the deciding factor in the series is the Austin Reeves fourth quarter. We've had one great Jaron Jackson game. We've had one great Anthony Davis game. The Memphis Grizzlies know where their bread is buttered, and if John Morant has to score 27 points, obviously, the last 27 points, obviously they're not going to win. But it kind of defeats the purpose of win or lose in that case. Like The process for Memphis is working, and Memphis has... While they only go about five or six deep, depending on how you feel about Tyus Jones, who had big ol' zero points in 17 minutes because John Morant had to play the entire second half of the game. Like, regardless of how you feel about Tyus Jones, like, the Grizzlies basically go six deep, the Lakers basically go seven deep, but their seven is not as good as the Memphis six, it's particularly when we're talking about the production of John Morant and Desmond Bain. It'll be, and again, Jaron Jackson Jr., one good game, two not so great games. One great game, one mid game, and one bad game for Jaron Jackson Jr. We'll see what ends up happening. He's their second All Star. A lot of what they do revolves around not just his defense, but him and Xavier Tillman's ability to score inside. Like, they scored, I think, 48 points in game two between the two of them and only scored 19 in game three. I'm pulling up the numbers here. So Tillman had 22, Jaron Jackson had 18. So uh, 40 points between the two of them in the second game of the series. And they had 19 in the second game, in game three in Los Angeles. And again, they still win the game if they don't have the worst first quarter in the history of playoff basketball. Instead of, if they just go four for if well no not four if they go six for 15 on wide open shots instead of one for 15 which is bad it's also not historically bad if they just go six for 15 on wide open shots in the first quarter instead of one for 15 memphis 
probably wins that game against the Lakers. And I know that this sounds a lot like, oh, don't count out Memphis, don't count out Memphis. Look, Memphis is still a better team than the Lakers. I feel firm in my opinion that Memphis is a better team than the Lakers. And also, this might be the longest series of any of the eight in the playoffs. I mean, two of them are already done at this point. So granted, there's only six left that haven't been sweeps. But this one could be the longest series of any of them. And Game four is tonight. I would expect Memphis is going to be a slight underdog against the Lakers just because it's on the road. I would feel confident in Memphis winning that game four and going back to Memphis with a 2-2 series. And when it gets to that 2-2 series, I really have little confidence in either direction on Memphis. So, hey, I guess we'll see what ends up happening for the Grizzlies once we get to that stage. This is just a series where I'm just interested in game-by-game, piece-by-piece analysis Dylan Brooks hit LeBron in the penis. Again, I just want to laugh at that. I don't want to I don't care what people think about Dylan Brooks. If I did if I said last week I don't give a flying fuck what anyone thinks about Draymond Green's suspension, I just want to laugh at how funny it is. God, I do not give a flying fuck what people think about Dylan Brooks. Cuz the simplest way I can explain everyone's disdain towards Dylan Brooks is, "Oh, he's new Patrick Beverly." Like, everything you were saying about Patrick Beverly four years ago just slide it on into Dylan Brooks. Slide all the Patrick Beverly slander onto Dylan Brooks, and that's basically 90% of y'all's take on Dylan Brooks. God, I don't give a flying fuck what people think about Dylan Brooks. I want to laugh at the fact that he called LeBron old and then slapped LeBron in the penis. He got ejected for slapping LeBron in the penis. Come on, that is so freaking funny. All I want to do is laugh at that shit and enjoy this series because all the analysis on this series I can just throw out the window. I don't know exactly what's going to happen. I feel like Memphis is going to find a way to win that series, which means it's probably going to end up being the longest series of the six that are still remaining. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Live city, clips, live, live city clips. CP three, three, two, play Griff, DeAndre Butler, and we got Billipson. LA, you don't know who you playing with. Got my other chick, gang with my other chick. Same course, I, Jack Nicholson. Throw, throw back jersey, I ain't selling it. But I'm fresher than, I'm fresher than Peppermint. Red Letterman's live city killing it. Young, young money, young money, yeah, we getting rich. Got your grandma at the game. Yeah, girl, you know what it is. Live city clips, live, live city clips. Live city clips, live, live city clips. Live city clips, live, live city clips. CP332 Blake Griff. All right, let's talk about the Lob City Clippers who are down 3 1 after we got to see the Phoenix Suns putting on a clinic offensively against the rejuvenated Russell Westbrook. The Russell Westbrook who's shooting over 60% from the field. 
the Russell Westbrook who just turned into prime Nikola Jokic with a 30-point game and well today he doesn't have as many but in the last game Russell Westbrook had 30 points, 9 rebounds, 8 assists, and now he's got 35 points shooting 62% from the field for the Los Angeles Clippers. The Clippers are going to lose because like Russell Westbrook in 2023 being your best player and the focal point of your offense against the Phoenix Suns of Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Chris Paul, and occasional DeAndre Ayton alley-oops is not going to get it done. It's especially not going to get it done when in the fourth quarter of a to go up 3-1 in a series, in the fourth quarter, Chris Paul ends up stepping back from the free throw line and hitting a shot. He ends up stepping back from three-point and hitting a 28-foot shot. And then on the following sequence, alley-oops it to Ayton, and then after alley-ooping it to Ayton, then gets the ball off an offensive rebound, runs under the basket, and fades away in the corner for the longest possible two-pointer that he could take, and buries it, thinking the shot clock was running out, but having 10 seconds anyways. Doesn't matter. Chris Paul just steps back in the corner and buries a dagger to beat the Clippers. I mean, Chris, like, like I said, the Russell Westbrook offense was fun to watch for two nights. For two nights, the Russell Westbrook show was back. Maybe it's the magnum opus of Russell Westbrook's career after MVPs and uh, a fact that is still true that the Oklahoma city thunder have never made it out of the first round since Kevin Durant left seven years ago after first round exits Damian Lillard waving bye-bye and losses with the Houston Rockets in 2020. After all of those runs, Russell Westbrook gets his two games where prime Westbrook was back. The, The Clippers had no chance of winning the series once Kawhi Leonard went out. And once Kawhi Leonard went out, it was Russell Westbrook through and through with vintage Russell Westbrook. I mean, there's no way around it. Like, the offense ran through Westbrook. He put up 60% shooting in the Game 3 on Thursday. He put up 30-plus points and had basically a triple-double. Like, they they were in it right up to the end. I watched a lot of that game just because I was working the Suns— sorry, I was working the Kings and Warriors game, so I've got three TVs that I can put on at work, and I had the the Clippers-Suns game up, and— it was just wonderful to see the Russell Westbrook performance one last time because we, I mean, we didn't even think Russell Westbrook would make the playoffs again at any point in his career. We didn't think he would be a starter again in the league and to have the offense run through Westbrook for two games was a, a nice consolation prize for the unfortunate reality that Kawhi Leonard will never be able to have healthy knees for the rest of his career, which we probably kind of knew. His knees were shot before he tore an ACL in his other knee. So for him to now have another knee injury in the knee that wasn't problematic before, I think we it's just safe to say Kawhi Leonard's knees are going to sap what is going to be an all-time great career. I think he's still one of the 25 greatest players ever, but uh, a, a what could have been story of if Kawhi Leonard's knees stay healthy and you know, as a consolation prize for not getting to see KD versus Kawhi round seven, and as a consolation prize for not getting to see Paul George play against the Phoenix Suns offense, as a, as a nice consolation prize if it was a formality that Phoenix was going to win the series in five, assuming Kawhi couldn't play. 
if it was a formality, a, a consolation prize of getting prime Russell Westbrook for two more nights, I think was a nice consolation prize. And now Phoenix is going to run out the clock on a on a victory in game four that includes a 29-point fourth quarter and 20 points in the final six minutes of the game. Just a sprint to the finish by the Phoenix Suns to beat the Clippers. Even though, I mean, Westbrook gave it the best he could. Like I said, he shot over 60%. He was looking like Nikola Jokic out there with his assists and his 60% shooting. I Westbrook looked great, man. He was going one-on-one with Durant. There was one play in the fourth quarter where Westbrook was going one-on-one with Durant and he crossed it, he crossed back to the middle and then dunked or he didn't dunk it. He laid it up right at the end and oh man it was so good to watch it was so good to watch Durant one-on-one with Westbrook to see Westbrook driving in the lane and scoop layups and all that good stuff he shot 70 percent from the or sorry shot 60 percent from the field like we talked about it was cool for one last day to see the magical Russell Westbrook performance Start spreading the news I'm leaving today I want to be a part of it New York, New York These vagabond shoes Are longing to stray Right through the very heart of it All right, let's talk about the fact that the New York Knicks are one win away from their first playoff series win in over 10 years. That the New York Knicks are one win away from their second playoff series win in over 20 years. The Knicks and the Kings... For years, were Eastern Conference and Western Conference Spider-Man memes of each other. There's a couple franchises that are like this. Currently, right now, the Portland Trailblazers and Washington Wizards are doing Spider-Man memes of each other. And the New York Knicks and Sacramento Kings, for the last 20 years, have been doing Spider-Man memes of each other. Because the Sacramento Kings spent 17 years not making the playoff, always being bad, but never being bad enough to get a top draft pick. And the handful of times they got a top draft pick, they messed it up. And that's the same as the New York Knicks. The New York Knicks were never bad enough to get a top draft pick. They've always been picking at pick eight, pick nine, pick 10 for about as long as I can remember. The one time they had a top draft pick, they traded it to Toronto for Andrea Bargnani. The Knicks have messed up quite a bit, but now the New York Knicks and the Sacramento Kings find themselves, well, the Sacramento Kings lost game four to the Golden State Warriors. The the Sacramento Kings found themselves one Harrison Barnes shot away from being one game away from advancing in the playoffs, and the New York Knicks are actually one game away from advancing in the playoffs. 
I want to start off talking about the New York Knicks side of things because they are the team that is likely to advance. I basically the only analysis we've done of this series is that game one was a fully erect Tom Thibodeau turned on by a 100 to 96 basketball game and I was tempted to come here and just make the same jokes about game four and game three every Knicks victory has just been we can win with 95 points because we're going to hold our opponents to 85 points or in the case of game three they held the Cleveland Cavaliers to 79 points the lowest total of any NBA team in any game this entire season. Not just playoff game, not just Cleveland Cavalier game, any basketball game this season. The previous low point total was 80. The Cleveland Cavaliers scored 79 in a basketball game. And the New York Knicks are not just winning by defense, they're winning with just enough offense. Because if you'll remember back to 2021, the New York Knicks were in the playoffs against the Atlanta Hawks, the Atlanta Hawks team that went on to make the conference finals because the 76ers gagged on themselves a bunch of times. But if you remember in the first round, Trey Young got spit on, he did the bow to the New York crowd, they stormed the street and uh, (laughs) and chanted F Trey, why did I say F? They chanted fuck Trey Young on that bing bong video. The New York Knicks lost that series in large part because Julius Randle was their number one scoring option and they didn't really have a go-to number two. If Randle wasn't having it, they really didn't have any other ways to score. And while the Hawks, you could say something similar about that, the Hawks at least had a plethora of options who would alternate as their number two. One game, Bogdanovich had 21 points. One game, Kevin Herter had 24 points. One game, I believe it was Gallinari, had a big one. It might not have been in the Knicks series, but the point being, like, Gallinari, Bogdanovich, and Herter at least gave them options for someone who could go off. The New York Knicks never had that in that series, and it was an overperforming season, and when they got to 2022, when Julius Randle battled injuries... The New York Knicks fell to the 12 seed in the Eastern Conference, missed the playoffs altogether. And the New York Knicks have come back this year with a team that is so deep, Julius Randle didn't play in the fourth quarter of Game 4. Not because of Julius Randle being injured, not because of Julius Randle, any reason other than the best five on the floor did not include Julius Randle. And surprisingly also, it didn't include... Quentin Grimes, who has been a big piece for them over the last two years. He's the best corner three-point shooter in the NBA. It didn't include Emmanuel Quickly, who's basically fallen out of the rotation at this point for the New York Knicks, despite the fact that he just burst on the scene as a rookie and was playing incredible basketball two years ago. The final lineup the New York Knicks had on the floor for Game 4 against Cleveland a quarter in which they outscored Cleveland by 10 points, were losing early in the fourth quarter and won by 10. Their lineup at the end of game four was Jalen Brunson, Josh Hart, R.J. Barrett, Obi Toppin, Mitchell Robinson. And that was the lineup they wanted on the floor. This was not like, oh, someone couldn't substitute in. They had multiple chances to substitute. And the final lineup they went with was Jalen Brunson, Josh Hart, R.J. Barrett, 
Obi Toppin and Mitchell Robinson. And Obi Toppin hit a couple of big three-pointers. Like, Obi Toppin, former lottery pick, hasn't really turned into much since being drafted. He was older when he got picked in the first round of 2020's NBA draft, and I guess this is now his third season with the New York Knicks. Obi Toppin finished the game with five points, and Obi Toppin hit one three-pointer in the fourth quarter. I thought he hit a couple, but he only hit one big three-pointer in the fourth quarter. Toppin finished with five points, played 20 minutes, and if you look at his plus-minus, he was a plus-11 at the power forward position, and Julius Randle was a minus-2. And they were the only two power forwards that played. Obi Toppin played 20 minutes. Julius Randle played 28. Like, they were alternating minutes, and at the end of the game, the New York Knicks decided we are better off with Toppin on the floor, rebounding and hitting the occasional three-pointer to space the floor, than we are with Randle as our primary ball handler. And this is why there is a possibility that the New York Knicks might make the conference finals. Now, that possibility hinges on Giannis never coming back for the Milwaukee Bucks and the Miami Heat winning a seven-game series against a Giannis-missing Milwaukee Bucks team. But there is a, a scenario where the New York Knicks are in the conference finals because Julius Randle went from the focal point of their offense and under circumstances in 2021 that included a remarkably healthy Randall winning most improved player, Tibbs and the the team having a really overachieving season relative to expected win-loss record, all that stuff. Julius Randall being the focal point of the Knicks offense has now transformed into Julius Randall is the fourth offensive option for the New York Knicks. And if Julius Randle is your fourth offensive option, you've got a really good basketball team. We did our Nerds NBA playoff preview a couple weeks ago. The New York Knicks consistently this year have been either the seventh or the eighth best team in the league according to expected win-loss record, net rating, and SRS, which is what their point spread in a game would be against a league average team on a neutral court. The New York Knicks have consistently been the 7th or 8th best team in the NBA this year, and if they didn't play in the super deep Eastern Conference, they would have been a a lock to win a first-round series. And by the way, they're beating a Cavaliers team that in the regular season was better than them, and we'll get to Cleveland in a second. What's super remarkable about this run for the New York Knicks is that Julius Randle is now your fourth option, and that makes him not only... That makes Julius Randle not only a player who doesn't need to be on the floor at the end of the games, it makes him disposable within the offense because they'd rather have Toppin sit in the corner, space the floor, and shoot the occasional corner three than have Julius Randle sit in the corner, shoot the occasional corner three. The offense runs through Jalen Brunson the same way that last year when Luka Doncic went out, the Dallas Maverick offense ran through Jalen Brunson. Josh Hart is playing 40 minutes a game, taking 16 shots, and having 20-point games consistently in the playoffs. Brunson and Hart, college teammates, it was a good combination for them to pair those two together. And then R.J. Barrett all of a sudden can create his own shot and be the primary ball handler up the floor. Now, granted, R.J. Barrett still sucks at shooting three-pointers, but... R.J. Barrett can create his own shot and get to the rim in a way that in 2021 he really wasn't able to. And he's a consistent 20-point-a-game scorer, which doesn't say much in the modern NBA where every team has at least two 20-point-a-game scorers. 
But if R.J. Barrett is your number four scoring option, I'm sorry, is your number three scoring option with Jalen Brunson and Josh Hart, you're in a pretty good position, especially because Barrett can handle the ball and create his own shot. And then Brunson can become an off-ball shooter where he's still really good in spot-up situations. And Josh Hart had a couple huge offensive rebounds at the end of the game that led to turnaround jumpers. Maybe you're not counting on Josh Hart to be your number two or three scoring option most of the way, but it's worked out so far for for the Knicks, and Josh Hart is a better defensive player in the lineup than players such as uh, Evan Fournier, Quentin Grimes, and Emmanuel Quickly. I know Quentin Grimes is injured, but so Quickly's kind of slid into the lineup recently. But the New York Knicks have found themselves in an interesting position where adding Jalen Brunson and trading for Josh Hart totally reinvented their offense, and the development of R.J. Barrett means that Barrett, who again is four years younger than Julius Randle and a higher draft pick than Julius Randle, I mean, R.J. Barrett in a weak draft class would have been the number one pick, if not the number two pick. He went number three only behind Zion and uh, John Morant. And uh, R.J. Barrett was the number one prospect in his high school class. Like, R.J. Barrett has has grown in a way that wasn't there two years ago when they were in the playoff run. And so if Barrett is even your number two scoring option and Brunson and Hart are legitimate go-get-a-bucket guys it totally changes what the Knicks are doing and makes it such that they probably won't beat a healthy Milwaukee, but they're not going to get run off the floor by a healthy Milwaukee, which if the Knicks had tried last year with Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett, Mitchell Robinson, and Emmanuel Quickly, and then I guess Quentin Grimes or whoever else you want to put in the starting lineup, Emmanuel, uh, Evan Fournier or whoever you want to point to, like if they run that lineup back, the New York Knicks get swept out of the playoffs easy. And they have they deserve all the credit in the world for building a roster where Julius Randle was the fan favorite. Julius Randle was the guy they gave a four-year extension to. And recognizing the limitations of Julius Randle as a number one scoring option and running the offense through Randle is what has allowed them to build the roster in such a way where they traded a first-round pick and Cam Reddish for Josh Hart. They signed Jalen Brunson to a $30 million extension. They gave R.J. Barrett the $120 million extension when everyone thought they were going to trade Donovan Mitchell for R. They were going to trade for Donovan Mitchell, and R.J. Barrett was going to be the centerpiece of a Donovan Mitchell trade. They have pivoted in such a way where they have three scoring options better than Julius Randle. Two acquired in the last year. One, the development of R.J. Barrett has surpassed that of Julius Randle. And the New York Knicks have the flexibility to look up and say, hey, we're better off running the offense through those three guys. And at the end of the game, Julius Randle's just not going to be on the floor because our offense will run more smoothly if we just have Obi Toppin being the P.J. Tucker or the Keegan Murray, the guy who sits in the corner and spaces the floor for our offense. And that's kind of interesting to watch transform over the last two years for the New York Knicks because they're doing it with players who the three players I just listed, Brunson, Hart, and Barrett, have never made an all-star game in their NBA careers. None of the three have ever made an all-star game. Now, Brunson's on his way to making an all-star game next year, but what's fascinating is that none of those three players have made all-stars. Julius Randle is a two-time all-star someone who they gave a $40 million extension or a $30 million a year extension to and they have made the conclusion that th- those three players 
in combination with each other creates a better offense than running it through Julius Randle, and the results bear that out. Jalen Brunson, R.J. Barrett, Josh Hart, the bulk of an offense that's not going to wow people away, but with the strong defense they have, and now we get to the Cleveland part. Cleveland, just their offense falling apart, shooting falling apart. Donovan Mitchell going four for 17 from the field. He hit one at the very end, and Darius Garland tried his best to try and drag them back into that game, but they just have nothing. If, If Donovan Mitchell isn't going for 40 points... They don't have a a second punch. I mean, Evan Mobley has been basically ineffective for this series. He had a positive uh, plus-minus in this last game, but he fouled out with about four minutes left to play uh, in the game on, what was that, Friday that they lost. They had 7 of 33, 21% from the three-point line. This was the game where they scored 79 points. And the New York Knicks defense is good enough where if they just take away Donovan Mitchell, they've got no counterpunch on offense. And while the New York Knicks are, while the Cleveland Cavaliers are a really good defensive team, the New York Knicks are changing up their offense so that Brunson can hurt you in isolation. The Cavs, I mean, Darius Garland guarding Brunson isn't the best strategy in the world. You have Josh Hart grabbing offensive rebounds and creating second chances at the end of that game. And. R- and, and R.J. Barrett was getting enough points to win and defend Donovan Mitchell. It, it's Cleveland can still win this series even as they're down 3-1. It, it's highly unlikely, like 95% of the time, the team who goes up 3-1 can win, and there's a lot of reasons why I would say the Cleveland Cavaliers are better than the New York Knicks. And all season, they were consistently as good, if not better, than the New York Knicks. All of that has disappeared once the scoring of Donovan Mitchell has disappeared. Donovan Mitchell had 22 points in the game they lost on Friday, and he had, at the four-minute mark of the fourth quarter, nine points on four of 17 shooting in the second game against New York. So, I or game four, it wasn't game two, it was the game on Sunday. So, they, they don't have a counterpunch. Their, their bench is totally depleted. They had to give it all up to get Donovan Mitchell, and they don't really have the capital to trade for anybody. They let Kevin Love walk out the door at the end of the, or they basically let Kevin Love walk out the door just because he was coming up on the end of the deal and he wanted to go somewhere else. They really have no depth on their bench, and without that depth on their bench, and without Donovan, and with Donovan Mitchell playing really poorly, I mean Donovan Mitchell is shooting thirteen for thirty-three. That's thirty-nine percent from the field over the last two games in his hometown. I mean he's from Long Island, but. Donovan Mitchell shooting 39% in his return to New York for a playoff series. I mean, it's just, it's been really bad for Mitchell. And without that, the, the second scoring threat isn't there for the Cleveland Cavaliers. And for New York, their offense runs, I mean, their defense is, is good no matter what. And adding Josh Hart has helped a lot on the defensive end of the floor. But the New York Knicks find themselves in a position where, their offense runs better without Julius Randle, and their defense is taking away Donovan Mitchell, and the Cavaliers have no second punch, which is the reason why you see the New York Knicks up three games to one, and while I bet you Cleveland will be favored in Game 5 at home, there's a good chance the New York Knicks are advancing in the next two or three days, or I guess the next four or five days, depending on whether they go to Game 6 or not, 
And the reasoning why will be that they took away Donovan Mitchell and, shockingly, didn't play Julius Randle during crunch time of these games. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. This has been our NBA playoff breakdown here. There's a lot of other series we can touch on. We can get to the Hawks and the Celtics another day. The Minnesota Timberwolves didn't put up a fight on the Denver Nuggets. We'll talk about the Nuggets in the second round. Maybe we'll have a eulogy for the Timberwolves, although we kind of touched on that when we talked about the Rudy Gobert punch. Sacramento and Golden State has been wild. Okay, real quick here, we're going to talk more about this Wednesday, um, but Sacramento-Golden State, the phantom timeout by Steph Curry. With a five-point lead and 40 seconds to go, Steph Curry called a timeout Golden State didn't have, which led to a four-point swing for Sacramento. If Steph Curry just draws the foul, they take the lead by three possessions. If they get the turnover because the clock was, they had to get the ball across half court. If they take the foul, or if they take the penalty, they still don't allow the one free throw for Malik Monk, which is basically a guarantee because he's a 90% free throw shooter. Just wild how the phantom timeout was almost the way that the Warrior, like that would have been Draymond Green's last home game with the gold with the Golden State Warriors would have ended on a Steph Curry phantom timeout if not for Harrison Barnes's shot being three quarters of an inch too far and forcing a game five with a 2-2 series in Sacramento on Wednesday. Like I said, when we get to Wednesday, we'll break that down further. The phantom, or I call it the ghost timeout. The ghost timeout by Steph Curry was absolutely wild to watch. And like I said, we'll break down more Sacramento Kings, Golden State Warriors later this week. In the meantime, ladies and gentlemen, leave a five-star review, a download. All of your support is greatly appreciated. And we love each and every one of you for supporting our dreams and supporting this wonderful, wacky podcast that we do here on the show. This has been the Take It Easy podcast, and uh, we will talk to you again tomorrow. Blake Jude's full final mock draft. Full final mock draft is out tomorrow. You can go back and listen to the first part from Thursday's episode of the show. You can go back to listen to Morgan from Australia. You can go back to listen for all of the wonderful podcasts that we've done. We've got over a 1,000 episode database. Just pick a random one. Listen. Let us know with comments reviews on apple podcast and spotify even hit me up on social media there's all of our social medias in the link in the description to this episode thanks for continuing to support our dreams we will talk to you again tomorrow and in the meantime take it easy thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.